Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if you are a guest with us, my name's John Sherrill. I'm an, another pastor here at Fifth, and it's great to be worshiping with you uh, this morning. Um, before we dive into the sermon, let's pray for, uh, for a moment, shall we? Pray with me. God, we do thank you for your, for your word, for the scripture, and we pray now that as we look to that, that you would open our minds, that you would uh, enlighten our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see everything that you have for us. So speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Pour out your spirit on us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in a, a series that's taking us through Advent, and uh, as has already been mentioned in this service, we're in the third week of that season of the church year. And if, uh, if perchance you're kind of new to that kind of thing, new to the church or new to this, uh, this idea of a church calendar, Advent is the first season in the year of the church calendar. So really the, the church calendar begins on, on uh, 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 the first Sunday of Advent, which is four Sundays before Christmas. And every year this kind of comes as a way to prompt us to do a couple different things, both to remember that Jesus was born the first time, uh, the, the promise made long ago in the Old Testament fulfilled finally when Jesus was born on that first Christmas long ago. So we, we do remember that Jesus has actually come. He was a real person, a person of history that uh, we can look to from sources outside the scripture that confirm that he really lived and, and died and his tomb was found empty. And so we come remembering that whole story and we also come anticipating that Jesus will return again just as he promised. So the season's about remembering and specifically anticipating, getting our minds centered again on this great truth that Jesus really will return just as he promised. So that's, that's the real spiritual intent of the season. Last week, we focused on the invitation that God extends to all people everywhere, and that's the invitation to repent. And we kind of unpack that a little bit. Often we think about repentance as you know, stopping something we're doing that's bad or starting something good that we're not doing that we know we should be doing. Uh, but we found that repentance is really quite different than that. It's, it's really more about the internal change than the external change. The external change is important, but repentance is about the internal change. It's a changing of your mind about God and the world and your life. It's the internal change that precedes anything that, that follows that. So, that. so that's the invitation to change our minds about God, this world, and our lives and turn to Jesus. And then we come to the next part, the external turn, which is the change that is worked out in us after that change of mind. Uh, so with that, let's read some, some verses from Luke chapter 3. That's our scripture for the morning. Luke chapter 3, 7 through 14. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share one with who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. 
Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. This is the word of the Lord. So today we're just going to kind of walk through the passage and, and look at uh, kind of several big points. What John says to avoid, what not to do, the point of this whole thing, and then what to do. Uh, so before we dive into all of that, just a, a quick kind of reminder of some ground we covered last week, if perchance uh, you weren't here. Just the setting of the preaching of John the Baptist. This is John the Baptist delivering this message. And in some of the verses we looked at last week, the the scene was set for us politically and spiritually, kind of the climate of the day. And we found that the the political leaders were almost to a person uh, corrupt and unjust. It was a rough time to be alive in, in that land. Spiritually, the leadership of the temple was a complete mess. It was dominated by a single family line and nepotism ran rampant. It was a father, then the first son and second son and third son and then the fourth son and then it was passed on to the son-in-law and it was just a mess. They were all in cahoots with the the political leaders too. So it it was a difficult time and it was in that kind of uh, season of darkness that John came with this message from God. It said, the, the scripture says that the word of God came to John in the wilderness and he went out and spoke this message. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. And we unpacked that a little bit and kind of broke those words down and, and found that what that message actually means is this. Change your mind about God, this world, and your life and turn to Jesus Because the active reign of God is extremely close. Right here. That realm where what God wants to have happen is actually happening is the kingdom of God. And that kingdom has come to us, come very near to us in Jesus. And that's the the reason that John calls us to repentance. Repent because that kingdom is right here. And it wasn't just John's message, right? When Jesus came in his public ministry and began preaching, he carried that message forward. Here's what he said. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent, and then he adds this, and believe the good news. You know, Jesus added that that believe part, which is so easy for us to understand as thinking a religious thought and agreeing with it in our minds. But that is not at all what the original word means. To to believe in the ancient world was to trust in a truth and to align your life accordingly. That's what the believe part really means, aligning your life. So when Jesus says repent and believe, repent is change your mind, change your thinking about God, this world, and your life. And the believe part is now that you've had a change of thinking about everything that's going on in this world and your life, align your life to that. Don't just hold it in your head, but live that way, really. That, that, that believing is this kind of faith that places trust in the truth and organizes one's life around it. And that's, that's the change 
right? The change that God's working out in us. And, and John takes us through it point by point. He starts with what not to do. And it wasn't a Sunday morning, but if you can in your mind kind of imagine the scene at the Jordan River, crowds coming out to John to be baptized. It was a bit maybe like a Sunday morning. Folks arriving in their cars, parking in the parking lot, you know, greeting one another. Everyone's dressed up, ready for a spiritual recharge for the week. And Pastor John, the Baptist that is, stands up (laughs) and says, hey, everybody, we've got great stuff for you this week. We hope you leave feeling filled and refreshed and, and ready for the next week. Not at all. to this group of seekers who've traveled far to find him in the wilderness, he expresses no seeker sensitivity whatsoever and leads with this. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I mean, if, if you're invi- uh, familiar with this thing known as the invitation challenge matrix, if you're not, it's okay. We're going to be talking about it more in the future. But it, it's a way of thinking about how Jesus calibrated in his life the way he invited people in, invited people close into his life. And, and how while he was doing that, he also calibrated challenge, telling people the truth for their own good. Right, so that we might grow in Christ. Invitation and challenge. Well, in the invitation challenge matrix, this is one end of the continuum on challenge. Right, John the Baptist. You brood of vipers. None too delicately, he tells them, you're like snakes fleeing a forest fire. They're trying to escape the fire but have no intention of changing internally. They're perfectly happy being snakes. They just don't want to burn. They want to escape, but they don't want to change. And that's where it kind of hits home, right? Because John is speaking about a primary spiritual truth, not just for those people back then, but for you and me here now. Sometimes we want to escape, but we don't want to change. This is a bit of the difference between kind of a cultural Christianity and a real relationship with God. And John says, look, don't, Don't do that. Don't be that person who's only interested in escaping a negative consequence because the gospel, the the real Christian faith now, isn't about that at all. It's about a relationship with God that changes us into the people God originally created us to be. Thus, the change in us, the transformation in us, how we're changed because of this message of Jesus is the whole point. It's not about towing a line religiously. It's not about doing this because your family's done this for years or decades or or generations. It's not about the general societal good of having churches and schools as our primary institutions of, of society. This is about a message that is intended primarily to change us. So wherever we find ourselves resisting that, we're out of step with the main thing. So John says, don't just escape, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, in, in keeping with that change of mind. You know, he, he, he's saying, look, if, if you really repent, 
changing your thinking about God, this world, and your life, turn, turning toward Jesus, then there will be fruit that accompanies that change. There can't not be. Right? The change will lead to new stuff being produced in and, and by your life. And so one thing not to do, don't be like the snake that's just trying to avoid the fire. Right? Because that's the point of that is the snake just wants to escape. But the gospel is about changing us. So John continues on with what not to do by naming a very common behavior of religious people. You, you know it. You've experienced it. The presentation of religious credentials. You know this, right? Um, here, here's what he says. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. A telltale sign that we're trusting in the wrong thing when we whip out our, our, our spiritual wallet and present the religious credentials. It's happened to me tons and tons of times. I lead with the question, well, tell, tell me about your relationship with God and where are you personally? Well, I, I grew up in church. My, my grandparents were actually missionaries. My family went to church three times a week, twice on Sunday, Wednesday evenings. Basically, whenever the church was open, we were, we were there. Uh, and then, you know, it was Sunday school, Christian schools, Christian college. Now, if we were channeling our inner John the Baptist, we might respond with this. Wow, that's a lot of church. That, that's, that's Christian everything. I, I hope that was good for you. I really do. And in this moment, I couldn't care less. It means absolutely nothing. What matters is where you are with God, really. That's the question. It's not about who your dad is or your grandparents were. It's not about how many times you went to church. It's not about the purity of your spiritual pedigree. It's not even about how many times you read the Bible or what you know about it. How's your relationship with God? Really? And, 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 and you know, John, John nails it. He, just speaking spiritual truth, he says, don't, don't even go there. Don't start to rehearse that, that religious credential stuff in your head because by itself it's utterly worthless. God can raise up a mature follower of Jesus from the rock in the island in our parking lot. He does not need your religious credentials. So that's what not to do. You know, don't approach your faith in Jesus with an escaping the bad mentality. Instead, approach it with a it's going to change me entirely mentality because the change in us, the transformation is the point. That's why Jesus did what he did. It's what God is doing in the world. In John the Baptist language, it looks like this. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The good fruit, the the change in us that results in different fruit being produced in our lives is the point. I mean, it's really important to understand the larger story of Christianity, the the big arc of the biblical narrative, right? And, And the big arc is that 
in the beginning, God created human beings. You and I certainly did not create human beings. Nobody else created human beings. It seems rather glaringly obvious, right? This didn't just happen. The, the odds of that, as one person uh, uh, explained, are similar to a tornado going through a junkyard and inadvertently assembling a 747. That doesn't happen. God created people. People turned away. But God created us to live in relationship with him, joyful, willing relationship. Yet we we turned away. We were made to desire God above all else, but we set our hearts upon things or people elsewhere, not God. That's idolatry, defined biblically. The whole process of the, of the gospel, uh, all this conversation about grace and salvation and whatever ever Christian theological word you want to throw at this is about God remaking us into people who desire him above everything else. You, you might have bumped into people who say, why did Jesus need to die on the cross? I mean, why did... This is so gory. Why couldn't God do this in a different way? Couldn't he have just snapped his fingers and kind of forgiven the sin? And friends, the whole point is that God wants us to love him willingly and joyfully. Sure, he could have just snapped his fingers and made some robot beings that love him because he said. But to have us choose that, to have us choose him, I mean, what more compelling story than for him to come personally, to lay down everything, to sacrifice self entirely, to demonstrate for us just how much he wants us back. The goodness of God in the gospel, this invitation to choose to love God. And God is remaking us into people whose primary desire is the Lord. Right? Thus, the change in us is the point. That's the point. That's why we're doing all of this. Right? All of our investment in our own spiritual lives, whatever we might do devo- devotionally, uh, whatever we might do in service of Christ, uh, uh, this is all built around what God is doing in the lives of people and what God is doing in our lives. Right? So that's why we do all this. And if, if that's not why you're doing all of this, it could be. Because when the people listening to John the Baptist understood all of this, their question was very straightforward. What should we do? What what should we do? And in the text we have, three different groups of people asked John that question. The crowd asked it. The tax collectors asked it. And some soldiers asked it. But, But what does that actually mean? mean, you know? The the big answer, John tells us, is produce fruit in keeping with repentance. But in answering this, we have to be very clear that that fruit follows repentance. It never gets flipped. And sometimes in the church, we've, we've tried to flip it. You know, you believe, and then you behave. 
It's not behave in order to believe. Fruit follows repentance. Repentance comes through grappling with the claims of Jesus, starting with the resurrection and kind of moving out from there and understanding the larger claim that on the cross, God came to earth in the person of Jesus and died as our substitute so that he could uh, perform all of God's law perfectly for us, perform all obedience to the divine law. It's our communion liturgy, right? This is what Jesus did for us on the cross to fulfill for us all of that. And, and, the, and when we get that, we understand that the perfect performance record of Jesus was, was copied onto our resume. And it replaces all of our, our flawed, failing, and entirely defective performance record. So that when Jesus looks at us, he, uh, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus' resume. Right? That's the simple way of understanding how God's righteousness becomes ours and what that really means. So th- th- this whole big change of, of thinking is repentance. And after that, then, comes fruit. Right? We're called to think, then, about the fruit of our lives. What's really being produced in spiritual terms now? by our presence in the world, by our lives, in our relationships with other people. Nobody ever said we should try to produce fruit in keeping with repentance prior to repentance. That the first step is grappling with the claims of Jesus and and having a change of mind. But after that, when we get to the, the fruit part, what does that actually look like? John had some very interesting thoughts here. He shared them with the crowd. He didn't say... Well, start with penance. You know, go do this religious stuff to make up for your previous way of life. He didn't say, you know, start with personal devotions, pursue God in in scripture and prayer, be more intentional in your life in that way. He didn't say, well, start with a church or synagogue back then, dive into the community of faith, build relationships uh, of mutual support, you know, pray for each other. He didn't start with any of those things. Here's what he had to say to the crowd. Well, this is what you should do. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. You should begin in repentance by changing the way you treat other people. You should begin with generosity. To the tax collectors, don't collect any more than you're required to. You should begin by treating people differently. Begin with justice in your relationships. To the soldiers, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Start by changing the way you treat other people. Be mindful of the way you use your societal power. And do not use it inappropriately. Because that's wrong. I mean, the fruit of repentance begins with changing the way we treat people. This is what John says. And, and I don't think it's a mistake that he, the advice he gives to all three groups in general has to do with money and material possessions. Did you catch that? I mean, to the crowd, if you have extra stuff, share it with people who don't have enough stuff. Generosity. You know, sharing to the tax collector. Stop doing what most tax collectors in your time did and collecting too much money 
to get wealthy for themselves. You remember the story of Zacchaeus in the Bible, tax collector. It was well known that all the tax collectors back then collected too much, uh, more than they were acquired so as to pad their own pockets. And they were hated for it. They were ostracized for it. So when Jesus reached out to Zacchaeus, it was a big, big deal. Because, man, that's that total cheat who's stealing from everybody all the time. You know? To the soldier, stop doing what many soldiers did in that time. Stop abusing your power to extort money or gain advantage or issue false accusation for personal gain. All this, don't use your power inappropriately because you have power. Each of us has power. We need to understand that. And the way we use it is critically important. So why, why did John start with money and material possessions in this conversation about the initial step in repentance, the initial step of the fruit of repentance, right? This, this aligning our life believing uh, based on the repentance, the change of mind. Why money and material possessions? Because money and material possessions can be enemy number one to a person's spiritual life in the battle for the true allegiance of our hearts. I mean, God named it over and over again in Jesus. You know, you can't love both God and money. He said it really clearly. This is the, 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 the chief competitor for how we'll align our life. I so remember a conversation I had with a good friend. This, it was years ago now. I was a brand new Christian, and he was a person I very much respected, and we, we talked about the gospel, and he just couldn't buy it. He, he couldn't, because of some misunderstandings, actually, but he just said, I, I, just, can't, I just can't buy all that stuff. So he, jokingly, he said this, but it was very telling. He said, since I can't really get my mind around anything spiritual like that, I, you know, my life philosophy is just, you know, go for the gold. And I just thought, oh, that road leads nowhere. You might get a lot of gold, and then you realize that road led nowhere. You know, if, if we repent, if we change our thinking about, about God, this world, and our lives because of the things that Jesus said, and, and if we turn to Jesus our lives will change, right? Including, maybe even starting with our perspective on money and material possessions. Because there'll be a a transfer of trust that happens internally. You might not even realize it at first, but the, the pointer as to what you're trusting in will begin to move from, yeah, the, the retirement account settled, I'm good here, I'm good here, I'm good here, and it'll move right over to, no, God really has me. Not just kinda, God really has me. And that's the point. I mean, the change is the point. So what, what not to do? You know, let's not be like the snakes just trying to run away from a forest fire trying to escape a bad consequence with no intention to change. Let's not, you know, whip out our wallets and present our Christian credentials because that gets no one anywhere. What not to do? What to do? Allow the words of Jesus to change us because they will. And, and God produces really good things in people's lives. The gospel makes us more patient the gospel makes us more loving. 
the gospel makes us more joyous and brings more peace to our life. The, the gospel gives us the ability to forbear with other people. You know, hang in there when people are annoying the heck out of us. That's what forbearing means. The gospel makes us kind. The gospel makes us good. The gospel makes us faithful. The gospel makes us more gentle and self-controlled. Does anyone not desire those things? Allow Jesus to change us and pray often about the way we handle money and material possessions. Jesus challenged the rich young ruler who just couldn't give up his wealth. Uh, he, Jesus told him to cash out and give and, and the guy just couldn't and he went away sad. Jesus critiqued that person. Yet when Jesus was sitting in the temple with some of his disciples and he observed a, 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 a very poor widow go through the line where they, they had these big metallic things that people would throw their offering into. And there's a whole background story there that's very interesting. But she threw in a teeny little coin that went, tink, which would have been laughable to people because it was kind of built so that when people put in a boatload of coin, it went, and everybody in the temple went, whoa, that, that dude just gave a ton of money. But here's a lady who walks by and just goes, and Jesus looks at her and says she gave more than anybody else because she just gave up everything she has to live on and he praised her right? your financial advisor will not give you this counsel to the rich guy it would be well you know plan it well get it diversified you know do the, to the poor widow with just one coin to, to live on, to buy food. It might be, well, you know, geez, if you don't eat, you know, if, if you don't work, you don't eat, you might want to hang on to that. Um, but that's not what Jesus said. You know, by the world's logic, it makes no sense. But Jesus did give that advice. He made those comments. It's about the change in us. The change is the point. And it's a change we can anticipate and turn our hearts back toward in Advent. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me, would you? God, give us hearts uh, that are open to change. And by your spirit, come and, and help our minds change. What, whatever struggle we might be having in our internal dialogue with regard to the things that you said, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would pour out your spirit on all of us, that you would overrule those challenges, those lines of thinking that would hold us back from commitment, that would divert us from turning toward you, that would convince us that, that this message is really kind of silly and foolish. And, and while I might stick to it as a religion, but really all in? I don't know. God, overcome all of those things. Change us into the kingdom kind of people you created us to be, the eternal people you created us to be. Open our eyes, enliven our spirits that we might see you, Lord Jesus. We do love you. Give us a commitment similar to that woman 
who put in the last bit on which she had to live. Uh, We release everything to you, Lord Jesus, uh, in trust and with joy. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.